I was in Melbourne over the weekend and I dropped in at a really cool gym down there. Very different gym to to mine, to ours here at, at Botany. And got me thinking about one of the sort of guiding principles for our gym, which has always been around maintaining the open space within the gym and not having equipment clutter up that space, which is going to stop you from, which is going to stop you from being able to do what you want with it. So uh, today, Pauline and I dive into that, you know, going off, off my trip down there and we talk about how we choose the equipment that we have here at Jungle Botany and what we recommend within the Alliance and why we prioritize open space as the most important training tool that you can have. Uh, Enjoy today's chat. It's Joey here, but you already knew that. Let's get into it. So I went to Melbourne, uh, Melbourne on the weekend. Yes. I was there. Um, we got invited to stay with some friends who live in the city there. Pretty luxe because they've they got a nice like city apartment and they've got a, you know, a really nice spare, spare room and stuff. And it's mm-hmm. like, yeah, come down, like, you know, do the thing. Bledisloe was on Saturday night and so Tomo had invited Misa to go to the Bledisloe because she's a bit of a rugby fan. And so then I, I was kind of, you know, I, I would be there to look after Leo while, she, you know, she went to the footy. Mad. Yeah, it was sick. I was hanging out there with, with his wife, Lisa, and just kicking around Melbourne, took Leo out for a little cruise around town. We had a special drink together on Saturday night. Oh, and actually, you know who <laughs> I ran into? Um, do you remember Tom Grealish? Big, tall Grillo? Yeah. Uh, Used to train here? Yeah. Big, tall bloke, came from a powerlifting background. Lovely fella. Did the JITS program back then when I was coaching it. I'm going to say no. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm kind of like... Fair enough. Getting mixed up with a player from Man City. I see. Um, yeah, anyway, I ran into him, which was really nice. Uh-huh. He's a fucking cool guy. Um, left the gym because he got a new job that took him interstate. Motherfucker. But anyways, uh, I caught up with Mikhail, who is a friend of friend of JT's and that I've met through JT and through the Bulletproof scene. Okay. He's a jiu-jitsu guy. He's a black belt under Lachlan Giles like JT is. And anyways, Melbourne dude, so... Actually, JT was like, man, hit up Mikhail when you go down. So I hit him up and he wanted to, you know, to hang out. I was hoping we could roll because I hadn't done any jiu-jitsu that week. Mm. Um, but he wanted to go do some lifting at this strength gym that he's been going to. Cool. So I was like, whatever, like I'm down to do whatever, you know, whatever you're doing. So he, went, he picked me up and we went, grabbed a coffee and then went to this gym. Now the gym is called Jungle HQ. Oh, okay. Which is kind of funny, right? Yes, yeah. You know, unrelated to us. But I've been following them for a while because Mikhail trains there a bunch and he's the guy that owns it. He, him and Mikhail are quite close. They podcast together. That guy's, I've, I've seen his stuff a lot on Instagram and we, we've had a lot of exchanges commenting on each other's content and messages. You know when you have like I've, a, I've seen that gym room. You've yeah. seen it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So his name is Jack Boone. Okay. Booney. Booney. I like him already. Interestingly, his father is a famous Australian cricket player. No way. For real. Fucking hell. How funny is that? That's so funny. I know. We're on the way there and Mikhail's like, do you follow cricket? <laughs> and I, Kids I'm, don't even know who David Boone is. I know. I mean, yeah. I was like, no, I don't. But I, you know, he's like, oh, you know, I was like, I know about it. Like kind of, you know, but yeah, I don't yeah, follow yeah, it. Yeah. He said, oh, because Jack's dad 
was a famous Australian cricket player. Iconic. And I was like, get the fuck out of here, because I knew his yep. last name was Boone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like, bro, we did the Boonie Challenge every the day. Boonie Challenge. <laughs> <laughs> so fucked. Did you tell him about the Boonie Challenge? I did. Hey, you, oh, you did? <laughs> I did. It was a it hundred beers for us, wasn't it? Yeah. It that we had to drink. Yeah, a hundred beers. So for context. We were trying to get a century every trip, basically. Yeah, but we're calling it a ton. Yeah. yeah. Which I don't know why, but... We'll call it's a hungie. We'll call it, yeah, but tons, tons of thousands, isn't it? it? Yeah, centuries are hungie. Right. Anyway, we'll call, so when we were working, Paul and I were working on Line Witch <laughs> in the Wardrobe and we were in Christchurch shooting at this time. Yeah. Was it a two-hour drive to and from? Was, I think it was a bit more. I think it was two and a half. Fuck, it was a big drive. That's so crazy. So we're, we're in a mini bus, all the lighting guys. We had two buses for the lighting department. Yeah. It would take us from our accommodation out to the, loca- to the shooting location every, every morning. Yeah, two two and a half hours. You wake up in the dark, freezing cold. It was like yep. winter because it was snowing on set or whatever. That was r- and then ridiculous. You would get into the shuttle bus, then everyone would be fighting for the fucking back seat, and you just go back to sleep for a few hours. Fuck, I wouldn't. No, I couldn't. I couldn't. Even you couldn't. couldn't. Not really. You I can dose. sleep anywhere, bro. Yeah. Yeah, maybe I did. Fiji boy. Did. <laughs> Fucking sleep standing up. Yeah, but keep telling them, like, we're driving out every so, day so and back. Every day. So, yeah, two, two and a half hours there, two, two and a half hours <clears> back. And so it was pretty fucking arduous. And it was hard work out there. Like, it was kind of just taxing. So, beers on the way home in the bus, naturally. And it eventuated, well, I don't know, maybe we were out there for four weeks, six weeks or something. Can't remember. It, event, it, it became this thing where it was like, hey, like, the drinking just got harder and like heavier and heavier yeah and so there was people like i don't want to drink so we had one bus that was the booze bus and the other one was the dry bus yeah because it was hectic yeah because some the booze people bus, just wanted to chill on the yeah. way home. booze bus would be pulling over because dudes had to piss all the time oh it took, we'd yeah. have to pick up extra beers at that pub halfway through that, that was sick that old pub there was wasn't it yeah yeah just to yeah. buy going and buy a crate going and buy crates yeah and so um <laughs> we the booze bus the goal was to crack a ton, which was a hundred beers collectively, yeah. Between leaving work and getting back to the hotel, and it was called the Booney Challenge. Uh, so I think I looked it up. I'm like, surely Booney didn't drink a hundred beers. I looked it up, and this is just on the internet, so who knows? But he's alleged to have drunk fifty-two beers on a trip from England after the Ashes back to Australia. Yep. And that's and that, that that's what it said on Wikipedia or whatever. Or yeah, s- some internet site. Yeah. yeah. So no, I can't you know, val- validate that. But the idea is to drink as much piss as you can in transit. Yeah. Now it, it was hard. Like we couldn't. So we we got it. Do you remember how we got it? No. Remind me. We were we had that driver who was, was a lot of vomiting. We had a driver who was a who was a big kind of that's quiet, right. Oh moldy, my big god. big mouldy guy. Didn't talk much. Very kind oh of like. Oh my god. Had the teardrop tattoo. <laughs> And we're like, this guy's done time for sure. Didn't didn't want to engage much with us, you know. Whatever, it's just driving the bus. I mean, you know, you got fucking ten, twelve guys sitting behind you. They're just smashing booze and talking about that. You'd be like, fuck these guys. But oh um, my god, I can't remember. You remember this now? And we get we get to like we get back into the city, and we're like we're like minutes from the hotel, and we yeah. are we're at we're at like ninety seven beers. And everyone's like, I can't, like, I, I know I'd pulled the pin. I'm like, I can't fucking drink it. I probably had like... We had a bucket. I remember spew- maybe it was you, like people were spewing in the bucket. Oh, God. <laughs> it's so bad. Oh, God. Because we were racing to get it done. Yeah, it's like, get it in, man. Get Boys, we've got to get 100. And so, 
where this jailbird driver doesn't say shit and we're two beer we're 98 beers and we're moments from the hotel and he's and we're all talking about and he it's kind of like the first things that comes out of moments like give us a fucking beer bro <laughs> and we just crack, give him one and he's like boom boom give me another one bro <laughs> and as he pulls it like just before he pulls into the hotel he, he knocks just, off the second oh beer the hundredth beer that's right he's just like pulled so it in funny. for the boys when we needed him the most <laughs> while holding on to the steering wheel <laughs> that is so irresponsible and all sorts of funny it's just so time. stupid man but oh yeah, it was God. good times we'd get there on the way we drove out I remember pulling over to get the beers. or so. I just remember we got to work and they started icing the beers. Yeah. And they're, they're ready. <laughs> the eskies were there in the back and one in the aisle. And it was just, it was an operation. Yeah. And your whole day at work was about the trip on the way back home. It was brutal. I, rem- I remember getting on the bus a few, you know, and also going the quiet bus as well on alternate days or whatever. It was, mm. what a time. Bernie. So, you know, so anyway, I didn't tell Jack that story. <laughs> I wanted to show, hopefully he hears this. But um, but got me thinking, right? So his gym, very different to ours. Yep. It's, 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 a, it's a pretty small little space. You, you know, you go in an alleyway off this kind of main drag. Where, where is it? It's in Melbourne in Pran. Okay. Um, and I don't really know Pran. Felt like a bit of a Newtown-esque Enmore kind of vibe to me. JT, yep, I got yep. that right? Newtown-esque Enmore. Pran? Did you say Pran? Pran, bitch. Pran. 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 Okay. Wow. So anyways, um, <laughs> you're going, uh, the place is packed. It's it's small, dark. They've done, they've got very deliberate lighting. Quite cool. Like you might've seen the photo that I took in there, but it's, it, you know, very kind of dark space, like a bit moody, black walls. The equipment is um, like dark green. Green's their color. Yep. But it's filled with machines. Now, yeah. they're all high-quality machines. It's all hammer strength stuff, which okay. is like the, the high-quality like bodybuilding machines. Yep. Um, you know, my limited understanding of it is that their hammer strength's always been like sort of gold standard. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, they got everything, fucking chest presses and cable this and pendulum and reverse but hyper and all that stuff. The picture you sent, it, I looked at it and I was like, oh, that kind of reminds me of that gym that Eugene, the strength coach from Garana Brand, ran whatever it is. Gambaru. Gambaru. Um, it looks like he's doing it. And then I kind of clicked on Jungle HQ and then like pinned to the top, or right near the top of the feed was like a post with him. Oh, wow. Um, I didn't click on it, but maybe they're associated. But it's the same sort of look with like the LED lights underneath exactly. returns and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, uh, you know, it's beautiful, right? It's yeah. great. And uh, we had a sick workout. It was really nice to meet Jack. It's the first time I met him. Lovely guy, you know, had a chat about the place. He's building like a recovery thing out the back with sauna and, cool. and cold pool and shit. And, um, you know, and you're squeezing through, right? You're squeezing through past machines. Yep. Like they've mac- they've really squeezed a lot of gear into there. And that's their style of training. That's their model. Um, and we were chatting about that. And he was talking about how, you know, sometimes he looks at a gym like ours. And he's like, man, I, I love the space. Mm-hmm. I just see you have space. Mm-hmm. And I was also like, man, I love like it's actually great having access to some of these machines. You know, that's something that we don't have, right? Yeah. But it just got me thinking about this, this, this thing that, that we um, prescribe to, which is that the, your floor space, having open floor space is really like the greatest training tool you can have mm-hmm. for a few reasons. Um, so I thought it'd be cool to ha- kind of have a bit of a chat about that. Now, the... 
you know, for, you know, maybe people who train in a gym like ours have never really made that comparison. Oh yeah, there's gyms that are like full of equipment and floor spaces at a, at a minimum. Yeah. Then there's these kinds of gyms, like, like a lot of CrossFit gyms and a lot of like movement style places where it's like hardly any equipment actually. I think that that's intimidating for people. Because a lot of people, when you speak to like friends and people who maybe who don't train and stuff, they just know that inherently our gym's different to other gyms, but they really can't put their finger on it. They can't describe it. Yeah. Um, and, you know, now they just look at it and they go, oh, it's a CrossFit gym or something like that. But yeah, it's a huge distinction is that there isn't machines there which kind of lead you to know what you should be doing with it's, them. It's, it's so true. And it's intimidating because it's like, well, what the fuck do I do with this space? I mean, and you can just, <laughs> that's right. You walk into a gym and you can just jump on a leg, <clears throat> on a leg extension and start doing some reps. That's right. Change the pins. Yep. You can instantly look like you got half an idea. My kids are doing it when we go to the hotel. Right. Like on holidays, they're like, jump on. They're like, ah, pull, this, to do. pull this thing, that's push right. this thing. Yeah. yeah. Whereas the walk in here, kids, besides pull out all the foam rollers and the, the lacrosse balls, <laughs> kids, yeah, like people don't know what to do, do they? Like you have to be. Not necessarily. Yeah. You have to be trained to an extent in the art of training mm. to know what to do in a gym like ours. Mm-hmm. And um, so, yeah, so that's, it's an interesting sort of distinction to make. And and for us, you know, to, to kind of give some context to that, as to, to why we think that is the greatest training tool, it's because you have flexibility. Mm-hmm. So if we look at this from the point of view of physical development and what we value in physical development, mm-hmm. which is combat, lifting external objects, and body weight strength training slash movement. Mm-hmm. If you go and put, if you don't have floor space, mm-hmm. then available that is that is open, then you have to have dedicated areas to those three or four things. You need a fighting area. You need your <laughs> lifting area. You need your body weight calisthenics area. <coughs> we don't have like in a gym like ours you don't have the financially you can't afford that right you can't have exclusive spaces that are just for one thing and that's for another thing and to an extent right we've got the mats but the training space downstairs is one space yeah so then that means well you have to be able to do it all in the one area so the lifting equipment lives on the outside walls when it's a lifting class we bring it in we work on that then it goes mm. away then we want to do some movement shit that can happen there then we want to do some whatever strength conditioning the boxes come out you know ropes and shit that goes away like that flexibility and i think you know it's it's maybe not something that a lot of people consider when they're like they're thinking about setting up a gym like ours uh is is how do i make things like how do i make it as flexible as possible Mm. because making those areas exclusive is going to cost you a lot of money yeah absolutely. whereas taking one space and making it flexible gives you these options yeah yeah and i guess it's it that the the design of it is very closely related to what we see as important as you said um you know trying to build people well-rounded um and multi like skilled in multi-disciplines and stuff like that so it has to be a modular floor that can look different modular yes. um and i guess like one word that i've always always come i always come back to when i think of this sort of part of the conversation and our philosophy is like environment and the idea that you know the jungle and where we came from we were we evolved from our environment we're a product of it over a billion years or whatever it shaped us to be who we are so 
how our gym looks and the design of it is going to shape our people. So depending on how we want to shape them, the environment has to change. You know, it needs to look different. It needs to have rings hanging and then later it needs to have stuff to lift. And as we learn new things as well, as we, uh, we, we come across different modalities of training that might be useful, different objects, you know, we're under the sandbags right now, we need to be able to change our environment for our people so we can get further development. Um, it's a funny thing, actually, just a side note, like with, with Pedro over in Five Dock, you know, we, uh, we hung up rings at his gym. Last, oh, from the ceiling. Last week from the ceiling. Went into the ceiling and we had this conversation about... Look fucking sick. The rig. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Put two, two rings hanging from the ceiling and I wanted to do it ages ago and I was like, fuck, I should have just done it. Got, got a couple of boxes, popped my head up there and there was some I-beams hanging above the lights in there and I was like, oh, dude, I should have done this ages so ago. So no drilling, no, just Nothing. Put, a, put a sling over. Yeah, we yep. went to Bunnings and spent like 100 bucks or something, got some slings, a couple of D-shackles uh-huh. and hung it up straight away. They're right in the middle of the gym. Um, and, you know, it's part of the reason why, you know, we need to evolve the space over there and, and get stuff overhead because for me, I'm telling him, like, th- how you design the space, people will just shape themselves around into it. So you have stuff to hang on, people are going to hang on it. And it was just so funny because, like, the next day he sent me a video of him doing his first muscle-up. He's never done a muscle-up ever. And I think he was with Haley, and they just got on it, and and it was just, and I was like, "See, bro, I just gave you your first muscle up by hanging rings there." Because I've been telling him, like, if you have shit for people to hang on, they're going to start hanging, and that's how their grip's going to get stronger. Wow. Um. So anyway, I just that's a little tangent on. That's why so. That's so cool. I know. I know. I know. It is, and and it's just that how you design your space is actually really, really fucking important. Because you know, if you want. It, it determines how people are going to turn out. So you have to really consider what it looks like. And in our model, well, we want uh, people to be adaptable to, to different surfaces, different environments, different objects. So therefore, we have to stay modular. Yeah. Yeah, man, that's so interesting. Like, I'm guessing the difference there for him is that the rings... So he's, <clears throat> before you put those rings up, he's working off rings that are hanging on a pull-up bar. Yeah, they're too Which low. is always lower. Yep. You don't have a lot of room. Like it's kind of hard to organize your you, legs for your. You pack them away. Yeah, They're not just hanging all the time. So it's it's kind of it's just not as accessible, is it? Uh, as soon as you know how it is, like people walk into any gym, they just kind of go over to the rig and hang on it a little bit. Yeah, or hang on the rings a little bit. Yeah, and and it's that's just a small example of how if you expand that out, like what you have, the surfaces you have inside the space, and, and you could even argue the music and you know, how you lay it out is going to guide, the, you know, how we develop ourselves or how we change in there. So the next part on that is the equipment can't be single use. Mm. I think this is, you know, and, and it, it can be if you, depending on what kind of gym you want to open up. If we're looking at like Jack's gym, like great space, there's heaps of single use stuff in there, like a leg extension machine, it's just a leg extension machine. Hyper, you went on the hyper? Yeah, the reverse hyper. Yeah, yeah. yeah great, right? Like I'm like, this. Awesome. I'd love to have one of these around. Yep. Um, but for us, where it's more of a, it's a class-based gym, mm-hmm. um, it doesn't make sense to have a piece of equipment that only does one job yep. and also that only one person can use at a time. 
because if we're going to invest in something, it needs to integrate into classes where it has to cater to a group of people. Yep. So then, you know, thinking, okay, you've got a class with like 25 people in it. <clears throat> you kind of need at least, I don't know, four or five of something mm. really for it to kind of fit into that, to be able to program into that, right? Mm. Depending on the bit of equipment. Yeah. 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 Yep. We do have some stuff that is like just for personal training and, and whatever, but still we, we stick to that thing of nothing that's single use. Because your equipment is an investment and when you, when you purchase that stuff, you've got money tied up in it. If that thing hardly gets used and only serves a small slice of the people coming in, then for yeah. us it's like it's not really the best use of your capital. The, the, any equipment that comes in the space goes through um, a rigorous discussion as to you know, why and how it will be applied. Um, also, you look from a money perspective as well because um, square meterage equates to dollars potentially made by having more clients inside, et cetera. So anything that takes up floor space is potentially killing your ability to have more people in the space and earn more money. Yeah. Yeah, it's a big one. And it, there, there is a flip side to this whole discussion. There mm. is like a case, like thinking about that, Jim, there's a case for, yeah, but I put that piece of equipment there and people know what to do with it and that means that of I don't course, have to code. Yeah. They get use out of it right away. <clears throat> yeah. And I buy that equipment now and that's still here 10 years later if I look after it. Yeah. And I don't need high-level coaches to teach people how to do handstands because that's a leg press <laughs> and everyone knows what the fuck to do with that. <laughs> yeah. You know, so there, there's a case for both, right? Again, so I think it's model dependent. But yeah, for us, no single-use equipment. I think back to when we first bought the gym at the original location and we inherited... You know, it was a CrossFit gym, so we inherited some odd bits of equipment. Like that GHD. We had the GHD and we had... It was some weightlifting platforms on yeah, the floor. One platform. One platform. Shit one. But there was the rowing... There was two rowing machines that trimmed down to one pretty quick. But we, and we tried to keep them. <clears> we tried <throat> to get them in the program because like, yeah, rowing machine, that makes sense. And it just it was just fuckery. It was like, okay, one person on the rower... You're doing this, you're doing that. It, it kind of worked okay when there's only two or three people coming to class. But as soon as the numbers started to grow, it was like, we actually just need to get rid of this fucking rower and this GHD. As much as they're, they're great. Great tools. They're just, they're not productive enough. And so we need to move them on because they're taking up space. Mm. And like you said, yeah, square meter is like that GHD sits in probably a three square meter space. Collecting dust, that's space that cannot be used for anything else. Mm. I think one of the one of the greatest examples of that fixed space and kind of sacrificing that happens with permanent equipment is the rig that we used to have, which was that typical like pull up squat rig. Yep. And it was fixed, you know, we had one long wall mm-hmm. and it was that whole wall was a rig and so it was, you know, the chin up bars with the squat area. So I think it had three yeah, it did. three rack yep. sections, didn't it? And like that's really good when it's when back squatting or push pressing or something's on the program. But when it's not and you want to be doing locomotion or you want to be doing handstand work against the wall, that's those squat rigs that are bolted into the ground and the wall permanently just get in the way. Mm-hmm. And so they're a really limiting factor for any other time outside of a few key barbell movements. So when we built this gym, that was a big thing. It was like the rig here isn't going to hold barbells. It's just going to be for hanging and <coughs> brachiation and stuff. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be long and wide so that it 
it doesn't f- it's not impeding floor space you can work underneath it mm-hmm. and throughout it and then we have squat stands that come out into the room for when you need barbell stuff and then they go away yeah and i'm like man i would never go back to a permanent squat rig like that mm-hmm. yeah um it might be important to to kind of say that this discussion is for our model uh, like uh, and but it also exists inside our model, which has a limited floor space as well. So, like I guess when we talk about our our gyms, we're looking at something that might be on average four hundred square meters or something like that. Yep. Um. Now, if you have a bigger space, you might not have to consider design so much. True. True. You know what I mean? Well, yeah, yeah. You may not have to, but you probably should, right? You should. Like just the same, but, but that's, yeah, that, I think that was the point I tried to make earlier is that like consider it and if it turns out that for your model it's good to have equipment there, then yep. put equipment there. Yeah, yep, yep. You know, there's like that's that's what most gyms look like and uh-huh. it obviously works, doesn't it? Yep, yep. You can sell a bunch of memberships and it's not, you know, they're usually not doing classes and, and that whole thing. It's like come in and choose your own adventure. Yep. Do you remember when we um, – sorry, just, you were talking about the, the old gym. Do you remember where that weightlifting platform was? We took it out and then the floor was uneven and there was a sump underneath and then we fucking got the – Jackhammers. Jackhammers. And, and the concrete we, saw. And we leveled that out. And then T went away for the weekend. Oh, oh we finished it off. We – What did we do? Basically did it. Yeah. T's like, hey – I got the concrete saw, I got the jackhammers and he's like, he sent, told us how to use it in a text message and he's like, hey, I started it but I got to head off with D to do this Viper training workshop. Oh, no way. So you, me and Betsy did it. That was hard out. And I just remember Bet- <laughs> Betsy, we got no shoes on, he's got this enormous concrete saw Neither of us are wearing shoes. He's cutting. I got a hose and I'm watering the blade. <laughs> and the blade's like the size of a fucking Olympic plate. Like it's so big. <laughs> like that thing would just take a foot off in a split second. And it was so dodgy. Yeah, it's like how did we end up doing this? We ended up, oh, do you remember it was, it was, it was like Dee's sister's boyfriend? Dave. Dave, fuck, you've got a good memory. He came in to give us advice on it. He was the concreter. He was the concreter and he came in and was like, oh, boys, boys, yeah, you yeah. just do this and yeah, do that. Nah. Yeah. Fucking hell. He and he had, his, he had his boys do the, pour the slab. And they, they reversed it in yeah. and just poured it straight in. It was so good. The two Tongan boys. Oh, my God. Didn't they swing? Did they have a swing on the rings or something like that? Yeah, one of them video. swung and then let go and grabbed the other one. Like That's right. Really quite nimble for a, a for unit. 20 kilo unit yeah <laughs> fucking that was so funny oh man those days you know, funny because it's in the past great stories yeah happy to <laughs> not go back there yeah um but that's that was the length that we went to to basically make use of the space we had a small space and it was like we had to maximize the floor space and uh, when we got rid of this piece of equipment uh part of the floor was sloped and it was working towards this sump. And you could understand why they put the platform on it. Um, but if you look at that one space, then that floor was like 150 square metres. It was, yeah, that's tiny. Pretty much ate up a third. Didn't it just it ate half. up a lot. Yeah, so Room. to go to that extent, to flatten that out, meant everything. You, you not only gained that patch and it was flat, but it meant that it, it flowed on. Like, you know, each end of the gym and the, into the wall, you could do it. Yeah, it meant a lot, but... 
we had to go to that extent to make the floor as usable as possible. Yeah. Yeah, it was it was really worthwhile yeah. on reflection. It, yep. it, that place was so productive, wasn't it? Like in terms of like we made we we made the best of what it was to be a really productive space. Even what we did upstairs on that tiny little mezzanine, you know, putting the floor in and the mirrors, like just as yep. even as a as a as a overflow kind of training area. Matt, sometimes you'd have heaps of people up there training. Yeah. Like it was wild. Yeah. It's crazy. So I read this in a book. Because it was fucking tiny. Like I read this in a book don't yesterday. I understand how small that space was. Um, it, was in, uh, it was in Profit First. I've been rereading some parts. And the guy says, I can't remember how he puts it, but he says, a tube, a brand new tube of toothpaste can last you four weeks mm. or, a, or a toothpaste tube at the very end of its life can also last you four weeks. Sure. Because <laughs> you just get better. You get yeah. more efficient at squeezing sure. the, and using less, right? You become <laughs> frugal. You're like, that's enough. It's just enough. Yes. You know, your thumb's dying, but you're like, oh, we got it. And you put it back on. <laughs> I'll use that again tomorrow. Yeah. And I'm like, that's so true, right? Like when you have those limitations mm. – but the need to make it work, you, you do it. Yep. But if you've got the luxury of the space, you just become a fat cat. Yeah, yeah, so true. Yeah, that space was killer. But anyways, yeah, look, I think uh, the kind of last point I wanted to make there, which we can we, we don't have to speak too much on it, but you become, it's, you can become a, a uh, you can become kind of subservient to your investments. I remember Joel Salatin, that farmer, mm. The, from Polyface Farms regen guy talking about this he's like you got these big farmers who have spent you know millions of dollars on equipment mm. they cannot go and change their method of farming because they've invested millions of dollars in infrastructure mm. he's like but they but you know you got this farmer who wants to stop using chemical fertilizers yep. and switch to a more regenerative model but they've made the investment so they gotta you know they can't it's the same thing, right? If you go and spend big money on bits of equipment and stuff like that, and then you decide, oh, you know what? It'd be really cool to like not use that equipment and do something else. Well, you, you, you financially, you got to kind of stick with what you're doing. Fuck. Unless you want to take that loss. That's so, such a huge point. Yeah, such a huge point. And you could actually just say that of any gym franchise or model, really, that is rigid in its dogma of or one corner of training. You're like... Oh, I've gone into this franchise and the training's like this. It's going to take me three years to to break even. And then six months in, you're like, fuck, this is boring. Or I, or, I don't like coaching this. But and, I've, I've already put yep. 150K into this thing. Yeah. But no, you're, you're totally right. You become subservient to your equipment. To your investment. To your yeah. investment. Absolutely. I can see that. That's a nice bright note to end on. <laughs> Thanks, bro. Thanks, bro. Good stories mixed in there. Fuck, we did it well. Memories. Thanks, fam. We'll see you and uh, we'll give you an update when the next Boonie Challenge is going ahead. <laughs> see ya.